Hello, my name's Riley Rose Harper and this is How to Turn 30, the podcast all about tackling the transition from your 20s to your 30s. This is episode one. I'm nearly 30 and I haven't found the love of my life yet. According to my plan, I should already be with the guy that I'm going to marry. I'm really excited for this episode because I think it's quite universal that we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to find a relationship, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, or even a soulmate. Now, I was going to tell you a story that I read in Elizabeth Gilbert's Committed book, which I read many, many, many years ago. I've never forgotten this story. It's from Greek mythology, but instead of me trying to explain it and absolutely butchering it, here it is. Before we had these bodies, we were actually a conjoined species where we all had two heads and and four arms and four legs and our perfect mate was built into us. And Zeus punished us for our hubris and cut us all in half and made us into these one-headed, oh yeah, you know, and and we've spent the rest of eternity trying to find that other piece. Um, And I don't think that I was personally in any position to be a member of a committed, responsible adult relationship until I let go of that idea that someday, Jerry Maguire-like, I was going to find someone who completed me. Um, I have had to learn how to accept the presence, the constant presence of my own incompletions. I have completed what I can, and I will always, like all of us, walk around feeling a little dissatisfied. God, I really didn't know when to stop that, to be honest. She is so wise, and you can find that story in her book, Committed or any book that has Greek mythology in it, which I assume would be a lot. I've always loved that story, to be honest, because it kind of explains why we do have that kind of need inside of us to find someone. Anyway, regardless whether it's true or not, whether you believe it or not, it's an excellent dinner party conversation starter. As for me, I feel like I wasted way too much of my brain capacity worrying about whether I was in a relationship or not through my 20s. And that definitely did get stronger through my late 20s where, you know, sort of seeing my friends start to settle down, maybe get married and you can't help but have those thoughts. Am I doing this right? Am I on the right trajectory? Of course you are, by the way, because everyone is on their own journey and you should always wait for someone that is going to bring out the best in you and that you're going to share teammate love with, which leads me to my next point. Emily J. Brooks is coming up. She is the author of The First Move and yep, she talks about teammate love. Teammate love is really a love based not only on personal respect between both parties, but professional respect. Emily is coming up, but first, let's talk about the wonderful Holly Wainwright, head of content at Mamma Mia and an author herself, also a podcast host. Her new book is called I Give My Marriage a Year and it's out now. I'll put a link in the show notes where you can purchase Holly's book. I wanted to speak to Holly today because I'd heard her talk about turning 30 on an episode of Mamma Mia out loud. It was when Emma Watson's interview came out when she was interviewed by Vogue and she'd said she felt anxious about turning 30 and what Holly said on the episode really resonated with me and it's often popped into my head so she has some really great insights really perfect wisdom for this episode as well and lets us take a peek into her own love story thank you so much Holly Wainwright here she is Holly, welcome. 
Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I actually wanted to start this conversation today um, by bringing up a chat. Now, I know you guys do a lot of segments on Mamma Mia Out Loud, so... I'm going to ask you, if you remember, November 2019, I believe it was, you guys mm-hmm. spoke about Emma Watson and her Vogue interview, and she actually spoke about her anxieties of turning 30. Do you remember what your thoughts were behind it? So I remember that segment. Do I remember what I said? <laughs> I probably said, Riley Rose, I probably said uh, people should take the pressure off themselves mm. to have everything ticked off before you're 30. Lots of good things can happen to you after 30 did I say that? Yeah, it was actually very similar to that because I I did go back and have a listen because I actually, I'm the biggest lurker when it comes to Facebook groups and I only just read stuff and, you know, maybe like a comment here and there. But I actually um, posted in the Mamma Mia Out Loud Facebook group and I was like, oh my gosh, Holly, you've made me feel so much better about this. <laughs> People put a lot of pressure on themselves about 30, a lot of pressure. And it's, it's, it's kind of as if it's, it's some kind of big full stop or an ending. And it's, it's really not, guys. It's really not. <laughs> did you actually feel um, the anxiety around the milestone or did, have you sort of just, is this like come from a bit of hindsight? So I'm in my mid-40s now, so I'm pretty old. And um, <laughs> so it was a while ago. Now, mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel like 30 was definitely a big milestone in terms of it's a big birthday. You do feel, I remember thinking, oh, like I'm, I have no excuses now. I'm properly grown up. Yeah. <laughs> but I, but I was never a person, a young person who had those kind of before I'm 30, I must. Mm. That was never really me. And I see that a lot in the young women I work with. And I wonder if it's generational or if it's a personality type. But I, I don't think I ever thought. I must have achieved these things by the time I'm 30. I think I guess I just thought, wow, like I really, I ought to get my shit together because Mm. I'm not a kid anymore. (laughs) What did your life actually look like? Did you have, you know, a thriving career? Good question. Mm. So, no, I I have been a late bloomer in lots of things, which I I think is possibly why you wanted to talk to me. (laughs) I remember my 30th birthday party so well. It was one of the best parties I've ever had. I'm not Mm. really a party person. Mm Mm-hmm. But so I can when I picture um, what my life was like turning 30, I can very much remember that I'm a Christmas baby. So I was born on the 20th of December. So it's always the end of every year is that milestone. Mm. And I was very much still living a 20s style life. So I was single. I had recently broken up with somebody who had I yeah, I'd recently broken up with somebody who hadn't been a very long relationship but had been quite intense. Mm. I was living in a share house um, at the beach in Sydney, where, not very far from where I still live, actually, although I don't live in a share house anymore unless you count my children <laughs> and my dog and my partner as housemates. Um, I was living in a share house. I think I was still working. So I'm originally from Manchester in England. That's why I've got this funny accent. Mm. And when I first came to Australia, so I trained as a journalist in London. I did a few jobs there. And then when I first came to Australia, I worked for quite a long time at a magazine that was for travellers, which very much kept me in that young backpackery world. Mm. And so I was still working there as the editor of a travel magazine. I was living a life that was very, um, you know, 
quite a bit of partying, quite a bit of traveling. I was in the career space that I wanted to be in, as in that I was in journalism and I was the editor of a magazine, but it wasn't a big mainstream glossy title. It wasn't Mm. a big fancy job. So I guess I was kind of on the journey to where I still am, but I certainly hadn't kind of, I wasn't at the destination. And so tell me how you met your partner, Brent, and you mentioned that intense relationship. Did you actually reassess how you were your relationships and did you actually raise your standards because your partner Brent seems lovely by the way (laughs) he is lovely so I guess that's the big question about 30 right for women Mm. is the reason that there's a lot of this anxiety is about love and relationships and babies and Although I was never a woman who thought I want to have a ring on it by the time I'm a certain age or I definitely want to have babies, certainly when you're single and you're in your early 30s, people start to look at you a bit differently, which Mm. is just society. I think they all start tilting their head a little bit and going, so do you want to meet somebody or do you think you will have babies or you better hurry up, you know, that kind of stuff. And I definitely remember that pressure coming upon me But yes, relationships I'd had throughout my 20s, I've always been quite a serial monogamist, so sort of a succession of longish relationships. Mm. They were nearly all characterised by the fact that the person, I'm obviously a straight woman, the the man Mm. that I was dating was unavailable in some way. So not like married, not that level of unavailable, but, you know, either didn't didn't want to live in the same city I wanted to live in or didn't have a good job or didn't have, like, just... A, a variety of things that didn't work towards stability. Yeah. Um, and so I did have a series of, of relatively intense, uh, none of which I regret. This is one of the things I always want to tell young women, by the way, mm. is that I don't think you should look at your relationship history as a series of failures until you get one that sticks. Yeah. I think every one of those boyfriends I had in my 20s gave, like I had good times, great times, sad times, taught me something, took me somewhere had an adventure with, you know, I, I really reject the idea that you should, unless obviously a relationship is actively bad for you, yeah. abusive or bad for your self-esteem or emotionally abusive or any of those things, of course that's different. But unless a relationship is actually bad for you as a person, I think we should reject that idea that they're all failures until you find the one. Like, mm. I think I had a great time with a lot of really interesting guys in my 20s. Not yeah. a lot. That sounds terrible. <laughs> a reasonable amount. I met Brent when I was, I didn't meet Brent until I was 32 or 33. Mm. And I think that, yes, to answer your original question before I went off on my tangent, <laughs> um, I had by then realized that I needed, if I if I did indeed want to settle down, in inverted commas, I needed to change my type. And when I first met Brent, he was not my type. Yeah, he wow. was a bit older than me. He was um, really nice to me. Yeah. <laughs> That's what you feel sometimes in your 20s when you do date a nice guy. You're just like, he's too nice. And then you just go yeah, for the bad guy. Nice. Exactly. <laughs> uh, he was really nice to me. He said what he meant. He turned up when he said he was going to turn up. He used to call me all the time. I'd be like, oh, my God. He's a bit, you know, <laughs> but not in a creepy way, yeah. not like in a stalker way, but just as in I was never left thinking, yes. is he going to call? Mm. And um, that certainly wasn't typical from other relationships I'd had. Um, and I guess that. You know, he didn't look like the other. He, he's definitely different. And I think that I had worked out by the time I did meet him, I'd worked out that maybe different was worth a try, you know, and that he didn't tick all my my type boxes. Yeah. But as it has turned out, as it has unfolded, that is exactly what I needed. Mm. I didn't know that then, though, I don't think. 
Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I just love hearing that that story because, you know, I've seen even comments from women as young as 23, you know, sort of say, I don't have a boyfriend yet. Am I going to be alone forever? <laughs> yeah. No. Absolutely not. <laughs> I think there's an enormous amount of pressure on us. And you know what? I, I genuinely think that, and this is only for me because I'm always really wary of generalizing. Yeah. Because everybody's yeah. different and I've seen relationships of people who met when they were 14, mm. you know, and they're still together and they're great. But I, I'm wary of generalizing. But for me, I wasn't ready to settle down in my 20s. So it wasn't necessarily yeah. a kind of I was constantly going, where is he? I'm ready and they're not ready. For me personally, I wasn't ready. I don't think I'd really figured out what I wanted or who I was or I mean, not in a bad way. I was having a good time. But mm. I think that I wasn't really ready for that either. So it, it worked for me and him. I think that when we did meet and we did get along so well and I remember there was a kind of point where we looked at each other and we were like oh this like we now I, I am wanting some of the things that I hadn't wanted before and mm. maybe that's a mixture of timing and the right person. Did your values align quite quickly or did it sort of develop over time when you started seeing each other? Look our values still don't align because he likes watching zombie movies yeah. and <laughs> you know eating kebabs and all those things that you know I'm not particularly he likes rugby I don't like rugby I like AFL like yeah. there's a lot of different we have a lot of different values at, but no generally at the core of it yes he is a very good person and mm. I knew that early on from when I met him it kind of anyone who meets Brent that's what they'll tell you he's a very good person and I really responded to that I think I knew I was safe with him in a way not a safe with him in a boring way but like as I say, he's the guy who calls when he says he's going to call. And so you're not constantly second guessing your worth. And that was important to me. Mm. It was also important to me and it became more so in my 30s because I think my career didn't really, in the traditional sense of the word, didn't really take off till I was in my 30s. And I always knew that I needed a part. I guess maybe I didn't consciously know it, but I subconsciously knew it. I, all, I knew I needed a partner who wasn't going to be the guy who wanted you to take a back seat yeah. in your career or your life. And I knew I needed somebody who would support me in those things, which has absolutely proven to be true. You know, there's that famous quote that the most important career decision a woman can make is who she chooses to be her partner. And I think that's really true. Yeah, that really does seem true. It does resonate. Mm. Do you think that the pressure that we put on ourselves to, you know, find the one or your soulmate is a bit of a social construct or do you think it's, um, you know, romantic comedy's fault? I think it is a social construct and romantic comedy's fault that one person can complete you. Yeah, um, and Tom Cruise's fault. I think that. <laughs> Yes, definitely Tom Cruise. So many things are, uh, I think, Riley, so many things are. But I think that you, um, I think that this is possibly also why relation, it, once you've worked that out, right, once you've worked out that one person can't be all things to you, mm. um, you're more likely to be able to have a successful relationship because nobody's perfect, including ourselves, of course. So I have never met anybody who can be all things to me, you know, like mm. my best friend, the most amazing lover, a support, the person I want to tell everything, the person I want to spend every minute with. Like, I think that that is an impossibly high standard. Um, I think that what we really need, if we're lucky, is a little village, you mm. know. So Brent is my romantic partner and my partner and my best friend in many ways, but also my girlfriends fulfill 
an enormous role of that for me. I'm much more, I confide in them about certain things that I wouldn't tell Brent and vice versa. My work is incredibly important to me. My family, the idea that you can, that one person can make you happy isn't true. And I think that when you realize that, it opens your eyes to the possibilities of the kind of relationships you could have. Does that make sense? It really does. Yep. It makes perfect sense. And I think that is so helpful as well. And probably actually a good note to end on, Holly. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Riley Rose. It's been a really good conversation. Yeah, I think it's great. And, you know, just to reiterate that conversation that you guys had on Mamma Mia Out Loud, it helped me so much. And I actually just remember, you know, pressing pause after the segment and I was just like, oh, I feel so much better now. So I think this conversation will be really helpful. And thank you so much for jumping on. No worries. Thank you, Riley. Emily J. Brooks is our next guest and the first move is her book and it is an absolute must-have for anyone that's navigating the dating scene at the moment. And it's a must-have in general too because it really forces you to look at your standards and what you're actually looking for in a partner. Let's just get into it, shall we? Emily, thanks so much for speaking to me today. It's an absolute pleasure to be with you. Thank you very much for having me. You're so welcome. Um, Your book, The First Move, is not exactly your typical dating book. Um, We were just talking actually (laughs) off air about this. Um, I've read a few dating pan books in my time, actually, because I've spent more time wishing I had a boyfriend in my 20s that I'd care to think about. How did it actually come about, Emily? Yeah, so I I would say this book is as much about feminism as it is about love and as much about kind of women's success and self-worth as it as it is about romance but I stumbled upon this topic because I had a question that I needed to answer and that was whether successful women faced a penalty in romance mm. and I stumbled upon upon that question for a couple of reasons the first was that my first job in media when I was 20 was at the Australian Women's Weekly and I was assistant to the editor-in-chief there. And anytime someone found out that I worked for her, they asked me two questions. And that was, is she married? Does she have kids? Mm. So it became very obvious to me from the get-go that both women and men didn't seem to think that success and love could coexist for women mm. as it does for men. And then beyond that, I just began collecting more friends in Sydney and they're all very successful but all really struggled in romance and dating. Yeah. Um, and then I stumbled across some research that, that said women, successful women did in fact face a penalty in romance. So historically, it's a huge penalty we've suffered, suffered from. And when I talk about the penalty, I'm talking about the fact men are less likely to date and settle down with women more successful than themselves, more educated, more ambitious, with a higher pay packet. Mm. But throughout researching more and more for this book, I discovered that we're actually starting to see a shift now in men's behaviours and men's attitudes, and that's kind of come around in the last couple of decades. And it's a slow shift, but they are men are beginning to partner with women more successful than themselves. But the problem is women have developed this kind of odd social reflex. And so we talk ourselves down in front of men to appear more attractive. And that just does not set us up well for when we're in a relationship and negotiating daily compromise. 
So the entire book is is really pit around that and and fixing that social reflex that we have. Do you think, just to go back to your research with men and how they did tend to go for Mm. women that were maybe less successful than them or earned less money, do you Mm. think that was an actual intentional thing in their mind or was it actually just the the way they had been sort of conditioned? I think it's the way they've been conditioned. I think men have historically felt intimidated Mm. or like less of a man if they earn less or if they're less successful than their female partner. And I don't think it's something to blame them for. It's the patriarchy is responsible for that. So there's this excellent quote, and I'm not going to get it right, (laughs) but it was out of the bold type. And one of the characters said, she's talking to a guy and she said, the patriarchy forces you to feel like less of a man if you don't have as much power and it makes me feel like less of a woman if I do have power Mm. and so that power dynamic has always made women and men feel bad if it shifts in the opposite direction to what it's always been. You touched on before setting yourself up in relationships. The concept of teammate love is sort of peppered throughout the book. I am obsessed with this new term now. Um, (laughs) Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, look, you just have to give something a catchy phrase and and everyone will will be on board. Um, But teammate love is really love based not only on personal respect between both parties but professional respect and it's a love where both people in the relationship are willing to pass the ball of opportunity back and forth and most importantly they respect what their other teammate does when they've got the ball so I think we have previously been in an era where men are quite happy for their wives to have a job and contribute to the household, but they've not always been willing to take the back seat. Mm. And this type of love that I talk about that I hope the next generation is coming through and hopefully our generation will adopt in the masses is one where men respect their wives and girlfriends so much professionally uh, that they they will take the back seat sometimes. Mm, yeah, and know mm. when to do that. Absolutely. Mm. I think the best thing about teammate love too is, you know, when you are dating to sort of look at that concept because the thing is, if I think about the guys that I have dated in the past in my 20s, um, mm. for want of a better term, boys, but, yes. <laughs> um, you know, if I was to get into a relationship with them, which I so desperately wanted at the time, by the way, but that mm. relationship was not going to be good. So well, it's not, yeah. Yeah, you don't really start on an, an equal kind of ground or an equal playing field. Yeah. If, if you're one a lot so bad and they're messing you around still. Yeah, exactly. Hindsight is a beautiful thing when you look back on it and you think, yeah. oh, I did dodge a bullet. But it's so important when we're dating to be actually looking for those guys that are willing to be seen as equals. Mm, and I think, I think part of the reason women get into this trouble and I, I I'm not saying that I haven't I I've got into this trouble as mm. well a lot but as young women particularly in our 20s we're taught how to be desirable and we're taught how to be wanted but the rhetoric is never really around hey well what do you want and what do you desire yeah. um, the position and the focus has always been on a man finding us instead of us really thinking about what we want 
and it just really doesn't set us up well. So that's what this book is trying to change and say, well, hey, what do you want? Yeah, well, it's like um, what you write about in the book, which I'm sure many of us have had conversations with our girlfriends when we're about to go on a date and we say, I hope, I hope he likes me. And yes, then you yes, have to turn around exactly. and say, well, I hope you like him. Yeah, I hope I like him. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, and, and you can apply that to the rest of your life as well. Like yeah. for this interview, for example, I've got to get on the phone and go, hey, I hope I enjoy this interview instead of, I hope everyone listening likes me, you know? Oh, exactly. That is very true. <laughs> well, this podcast is about your transition from your 20s to your 30s, Emily. What do you think about the transition when it comes to love and dating? And do you think our perspectives will change a little bit from our 20s to our 30s when it comes to getting a partner or getting into a relationship? Yeah, I do. I've got two younger sisters. So they're one is in her, I'm 28. Mm-hmm. Uh, One's about 25 and the other's about 23. But I've spoken to them a lot um, and their friends when I was writing this book, particularly in terms of making the first move. And it seems like women in their really early 20s aren't comfortable making the first move. And my friends in their 30s are. So I don't know whether it's just because they're fed up and time poor. Mm. But what I do actually see is a connection in terms of confidence and confidence in yourself and this applies to women and men but I think women in particular you do just become more confident in yourself and own what you want a little more when you yeah near near your 30s whereas I feel like in our 20s we're we're just fumbling through life and and taking the lessons with each fumble and catching ourselves again and moving forward and you gradually get more confident with each year. And I guess it's about, you know, not putting that pressure on yourself as well. Like, you know, what I was saying earlier, I wish if I could go back to my early 20s, I wish I would just say, don't worry about having a boyfriend. It's not the be all to end all. <laughs> yeah. And look, if, if you find that perfect man at 20, mm. um, I'm not sure we want to find our perfect man at 20 yeah. because <laughs> you've got a whole lifetime to spend with him and People make a lot of mistakes throughout their 20s, so you're better to find him later on. But I think, yeah, women are are so often taught that they're only successful once they've got a boyfriend, whereas I think that narrative is beginning to shift, but it's always been reinforced through romantic comedies and and our mothers and grandmothers, and it is beginning to shift. But, yeah, I do think our 20s are just for for making mistakes and keeping on going and you, you come out the side closer to your 30s as a much stronger, wiser person. Emily, thank you so much for talking to us today. It's been an absolute pleasure. That is not all for the topic of love and dating, by the way. We'll definitely be covering it again because it is so huge. And if you have any requests, any feedback, any suggestions, please get in touch with me at Riley Rose Harper on Instagram or How to Turn 30 podcast on Instagram. Instagram as well. And if you enjoyed this episode, please let me know by rating and reviewing or screenshot a picture of you listening to How to Turn 30 and chuck it up on your Instagram. Wow, that would be so amazing if you did that. And I will be back with another episode next Sunday. Have an awesome week.